Welcome to It Is Written Canada. Thank you for joining us. Our special guest on It Is Written Canada today is Jerry Scheel, who we spoke with last week, and this is part two. He was telling us about how he grew up on the streets from the age of 16, and then ended up getting in trouble with the law because of drugs and violence, and was in and out of jail. But then Jerry hit it big time, working as a model in Los Angeles and Dallas until God showed up while Jerry was sitting at a river in Dallas, Texas. Jerry, thank you so much for joining us again on It Is Written Canada. Thank you, Mike and Renee, it's a pleasure. So Jerry, take us back to that river experience that you had where God was uh, obviously speaking to you, gave you an experience there, but then you prayed for a sign that he would either leave you where you were in the modeling industry or take you somewhere else. Yes, I was uh, early for an appointment with an advertising agency and there was a river and I just was spending some time in there just hurting. And I, I had a spiritual moment, well, longer than a moment, but um, I surrendered to the Lord there. And uh, it was such a, a beautiful experience and then I was um, wondering, what should I be doing? Uh, should I be staying in that industry or uh, going back to Canada? And that w I, w I was praying. I was praying for a sign. And the sign was, is that the work would all dry up. And what was happening at that time, Kim Dawson, they were spending a lot of money promoting me and the work was coming in. So that was going to be a true sign. And the work did dry up. When I, what I did is I, I went to the office and I, where I had my head sheet uh, on the wall where there are pictures, I took that down and I had written on another piece of paper, a person with beauty but without a sound judgment is worthless like a gold ring in a pig snout. And I put it on the wall there and I left. So Jerry, you're out of the modeling industry. Did you feel like going home? Yes, I actually went to uh, my folks' place in Saskatchewan, Ituna, Saskatchewan, and went to visit with them. And it was really good because it was uh, a time when uh, we're supposed spiritually connected and we would have devotional time together, uh, which was beautiful. Um, then also, I recall, I don't know if it was TV, radio, or whatever, but somehow I got an invitation from It Is Written and what I did is they, they were offering to purchase the It Is Written Heritage Bible. So I bought this in 1978. It was the first Bible I ever bought, and it's the only one I've ever purchased, and I still have it today. That's wonderful. So, Jerry, can you tell us what it was like having family devotions and getting into spiritual conversations with your parents again? It, it was good, you know, to talk uh, with Dad uh, on the spiritual level. And uh, with Mom, I'd go to church with them, uh, which was interesting because it was the first time I actually really wanted to go to church. I went to... Uh, back to Port Dover, Ontario, and that's where I lived a lot of the time on the street where I was raised in that area. And uh, the Lord was just leading. Even when I was in Saskatchewan, I was praying, you know, what I should be doing. I was thinking about the ministry. And uh, the Lord was just leading me to uh, restitution, to first go and make things right. Uh, same as 
with the watermelon. And I, I did, and I'd go and see a person. But there was sometimes a little bit of anxiety, but it was beautiful because I'd spend time with the, in study and devotion first in the morning, and the Lord would just give me an encouragement. I'd go see the people uh, that I'd robbed, and some I knew, most of, them, uh, most of them I knew, some I didn't. And I just said that, you know, I, I robbed you, I broke into your places, whatever, and I had money and I'd like to give you this money. And they had asked me what happened in life, and they, they just said, no, keep the money, keep on doing what you're doing. And then one day the Lord put on my heart, go see this individual I mentioned about in the previous episode, where uh, this ex-drug dealer, where I, I, he did something, and I went and did something, and I sat in the county jail, and I was thinking, you know, I was going to kill him, and I really wanted to kill him. And uh, the Lord put on my heart to go see him and to uh, ask for forgiveness. And the other thing is, is that I was not to mention anything that he did because that's not true forgiveness. And uh, he was reluctant to see me. Then he said, okay, I went over to his apartment in the hallway and he had a big empty Texas Mickey in his hand in case something happened. And I just, I just said, hey man, I've, I, I apologize for what I did to you. I was wrong. And I took out money and I gave him money. And he was surprised. The look on his face was amazing. He was surprised. And I gave him a short testimony of what's happening in life. There was a, uh, uh, some individuals I was staying with in Langley. And these were serious drug guys, serious people. And I've seen what they would do to people if they messed with them. And, but I still had this thing of stealing. And I knew where the stash of drugs were. And I stole the drugs back in the before my experience, right? Except in the Lord. I, and the Lord put on my heart to go see this person. And I, I said, okay, so you know, I, I go and I, I'm hitchhiking to BC. And I, I go and I, I can't find the person. And, but what these guys did, okay, when they caught me previously, before I went to Dallas, they caught me. And they chased me out of a building. And I ran, and I finally gave up, and I went, I, they got me down on the ground, and one had a big stick, and they said, well, let's kill him. And I said, no, let's just poke his eyes out. But some, for some reason, they stopped. And, but they knew it was me that did it, but they stopped. So the Lord put on my heart to go see if I can find these guys, and I couldn't find them. When I couldn't find the people, I, uh, those ex-drug dealing guys, to make things right, I was out hitchhiking because I knew I had another charge on me and the police pulled me over and uh, I, they uh, looked me up and they said, yeah, you have this charge. And I said, yeah, I know I have to deal with this. And it was a pretty serious w with violence. So even though Jesus had forgiven you, you still had things in this world you had to deal with. Right? I had that one charge. I knew I had that to deal with yet. And uh, what they did is they, um, after taking me to jail, I, they were going to fly me up to Kitimat. And I, I was with a detective going on a small plane in handcuffs. And there was just a few other people on the plane. And it's pretty embarrassing going on a plane with handcuffs. And I remember going into the plane and the, the detective point, you sit at the window. So I sat at the window and he was on the aisle side and the handcuffs. And we're just talking and I start sharing my testimony with him, what has happened in life and whatever. And after sharing that with him, um, 
I, he just looked down at the handcuffs and he looked at me and he goes, we don't need those, do we? And I said, no. But he said, before we land, we go, these go back on. I said, yes. And he agreed. So we just had a really good, uh, really good visit together. And uh, then what happened is I had to go in front of the judge. And uh, the uh, judge asked me, you know, what's been happening in my life? And uh, he, they went off all my charges previously, my record. So what's been happening now? And I told him, I gave him my testimony respectfully in the courtroom. And uh, the, uh, the judge said to me, he said, um, what I'm going to do is give you a fine. And I knew he could have given me some good jail time, more jail time for this. And he said, uh, do you, can you pay for this fine? And I said, yes. And, uh, but he said for this, failing to appear is automatic. I have no choice. I have to give you this jail time for this. And uh, so I said, okay, you know, and I, I went to jail to do that time. It was a totally different experience when before when I'd go to jail, a lot of people I'd be looking for who I knew or whatever it was and you're meeting people. This time, it was just like I just wanted there. If I meet somebody, hallelujah. But it's going to be about a testimony of Jesus, right? Then I got out uh, from there and uh, I, I, I went back to uh, Port Dover, Ontario. And I... Uh, I saw that there, there was a bakery for sale. And so did you decide to get this bakery? What I did is that I, I looked at it and I, my uh, sister said, and uh, brother-in-law said, I, that if I got someone qualified to bake, then, uh, then uh, they would uh, find that sign for me, in which they did. So I got the bakery. Did you have any challenges in your spiritual walk? I'd always spend time in the morning, you know, with the Lord, my devotional time, because I wanted to. And um, I, 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 what was happening, I, can sell, I could tell myself I was sliding a bit. I'd go, oh, I'm just going to drive into town, you know, and then I'm going to have my devotional time. And then I was going to go, oh, I'm just going to go and get the dough going in the mixer. And then I was just going to let it rise in all these stages. Then I was forcing myself to have a devotional time. And I was finding myself, I was becoming very legalistic, and I was actually seeing the faults in people. Things I didn't see before. I'd see them, but it was, I, my attitude was different. I was really judging them. And I'd start slipping away. And uh, I end up getting married. How did that relationship go? It ended up in a, in a divorce like four years, four years later. We had a son, and that's where it was a really hard time in my life. And it was, I, um, I was just losing that, that closeness with the Lord. So the bakery was really taking up a lot of your time? It was. What I, what I was doing is that I would get so busy doing God's work, you know, and I, that became first. I, the work became first talking to other people came first. My quiet time with the Lord was secondary. Even it got to the point where I did, really didn't even want to. I'd go to church, but I wasn't really interested in it. I'd still go and sometimes even speak. And, uh, but I knew in my heart I, I was slipping away. So you were really making your work your savior. Yes. <laughs> and yes. not Jesus your savior. Oh, I was keeping the Sabbath. 
<laughs> so, Jerry, you then left the bakery? Yes, and I, I moved to Alberta. And I, I was doing just odd jobs that I could get. And then I, I had an interest in massage therapy. And uh, so I rolled in the massage therapy. They accepted me even with my low uh, grade eight. They, they said, let's, let's just see how you can do. And I scored high in the practical, low in the written. And they said, okay, you can come in. And so from there, I end up having um, a successful business in downtown Calgary, a number of businesses in that work. I, I traveled for about seven years with Olympic athletes doing their therapy with the team. I was a therapist for the Jamaican Olympic team in Barcelona in 1992. I developed an ergonomic software program. So I was doing this, the, the money was coming in and my ego was still up here, but all that time I had a hole. I had a hole in my heart. And um, at that time also that I, I actually was seeing a lady and we got pregnant. And um, I didn't know what to do at that time. And um, so what I did is I, I did, as I look at it, the selfish thing. And, and she was in agreement to have the abortion and I did too. And the sad thing is, is that the day that the baby was being aborted, I was on a, because I went back into the drug scene again. And I, crazy lifestyle that I, I, I was uh, on the stand testifying on behalf of a drug dealer I knew, uh, supporting him while the little baby was being aborted. And that, after that, I would just numb me. And I was actually, that would numb me when I'd actually see a parent with a little baby. And I'd just numb myself out more and it just put a deep, deep hole into me. And I just say, anybody thinking of doing that, really give it some thought because the consequences after, if you do grow spiritually, it's gonna bother you. And un until you actually learn about forgiveness. So you were drifting away from the Lord? Yes, and it was uh, a real drift. And I, what happened is I moved up to Barhead, and that's actually where my ex-wife and I separated. It was in Barhead. And I went there, and um, I was in with a, a gentleman, Marius, we're staying in this house. And I, I was just, just had no interest in studying the Bible anymore. And I took out this Bible bag that I had made in Port Dover, Ontario in 1979. And I remember moving from that house, I just took it like this and I just throw it to him, to Marius. And I said, here, do whatever you want with it. And he took it. And I took this Bible and I put it in a box. And that Bible stayed in the box for close to 24 years. And I was just going deeper in the hole in my spiritual walk. The beautiful thing is, is, is that um, even when I was going to the bar, you know, we were looking at doing this area, history of music in the Highwood area, High River area. And I had one spot left for a musician. And someone told me about this bluegrass gospel singer, and uh, Mary Ellen Goslin. And I said, okay. And I remember I was a passenger in the vehicle and I went and got a case of beer. I was drinking beer all the way to this bluegrass 
Christian festival. And I got there and I met her. And I, I told her about this spot we had left over. She goes, yes, you do it. And see, I was interested in gospel music, but I wasn't walking with the Lord then, you see. And I, I, one day, I, she I said to me, she said, if you died today, do you know what would happen? And I said, well, kinda. And she says, that ain't good enough. So the Holy Spirit used her in the parking lot to reach me. And one day when I was working on construction, I was on top of a rooftop and I was, nail I was knocking down a chimney. And at this time, hurting. I was hurting in my life. I was even driving, I remember driving home from the job one day, drinking a bottle of vodka straight. That was just numbing myself out to kill that pain. I never liked the taste of alcohol. I just drank it to numb myself out. And uh, I was on top of that rooftop and the Lord just touched my heart. And I remember I, when I was there on my knees, knocking this chimney down, I had that same experience of surrender that I had in Dallas, where I surrendered all to the Lord. And what I did is I had this bucket, this bucket right here that I would carry the bricks with and throw over the side of the building. I turned after praying and accept the Lord my life and singing. I took out my red marker and I wrote on here, June 32, June the 8th, 2009. And you know what? It's the day I resurrendered to the Lord. And from that day, even though I was dealing with the pornography, I was dealing with all these issues and that big hole that was in my life, that day, my life changed. And I never went by the grace of God. The Lord was leading me, but it was actually spending time again. Spending because I wanted to, you know, spend time with the Lord in my devotional time. And it was a real blessing and growth. 2010, my first camp meeting, after accepting the Lord on that rooftop, I was in the ABC. I was looking at some books and I felt a little poke in my rib. And I turned it around and this guy goes, do you remember me? I said, yeah, Marius. And it was the guy I lived in that farmhouse with, the guy I threw the Bible bag to. And we talked and he goes, he was single when we lived in that farmhouse. He goes, come meet my family. So I went in his motorhome and met his family. And we're talking and he goes and he comes from the back of the motorhome and he brings his Bible back, Bible bag out. And he goes, do you remember this? I did, and I actually sat there and I cried. And we were looking, we talked about it, and I remember after going from the motorhome, we'd go and talk to people, and I saw Don Corkum, I said, this is the guy I gave the Bible back to, you know? And you know what the amazing thing is, is that he said to me, he says, when I get the buckle fixed, he says, it's gonna go back to its rightful owner. And his wife was telling him to get rid of it. He'd been to 10 different countries with him, all over the world. Wherever he'd go, he had this Bible. It meant so much to him. So what we did is we, uh, t sometime later, we went to, uh, back to Barhead, Alberta, where we lived in that old farmhouse where I lost my walk and I, where I gave him that Bible bag. And what he did is he handed me the Bible bag. And I took this Bible that used to be in this bag all the time, the It Is Written Bible. I put it back into that bag and we've been re reunited.
ever since. So praise God. I can share that in 2000 and, uh, uh, 2020, I got rebaptized. My prayer partner, Don Corkum, and I talked about it. So at camp meeting, June the 20th, okay, I got rebaptized. So it was 10 years since I accepted the Lord that I got rebaptized two years ago. And that was a blessed thing. So now it's a uh, ministry where I've taken training to do the Living Free program. So I go and do ministry with that and uh, working with people who are dealing with addiction issues. I, at home, I, I were, before COVID, we'd have a men's group. So we'd have food and the men were talking about things. That, it wasn't so much Bible study, but it was really talking about what's going on in men's lives, what's going on. And it would always lead to the spiritual part. So we'd do that on Wednesday nights. Friday nights, we would have uh, uh, potluck at the house. And we'd be following a study. Our first one was on forgiveness. It was really good. So sometimes, majority of the time, it's more non-Adventists than Adventists that come to it. Then every third Sabbath, uh, we would have home church. And uh, sometimes it would be in the house. Sometimes it would be in the park. Other times, we'd have uh, inspirational movie night. We'd have popcorn and, and that. And they have the privilege of also now as God's leading, but always remembering having devotion first, doing, it's God's ministry, God's mission field, it's not Jerry's. Okay, so that's really helped me getting that perspective. To work with young teens 
that have made poor choices and they've been charged legally. So I volunteered with Youth Justice for about eight years now, working with teens and also the privilege of going and doing church ministry. I, and I had church ministry and also prison ministry. Go to the prisons and just find out what their needs are and minister with them, it's beautiful. Sorry, Jerry, we've run out of time, but I know you have an important picture there. Yes, thank you, Mike. Uh, what it is is a picture when I was a little baby and my family sent this to me a few years ago. And I remember looking at this picture and I, it was always difficult for me. It was easy for me to forgive other people difficult to forgive myself and I remember looking at this picture I remember touching the little feet and I was saying sorry little feet where I took you then I looked at the hands and said sorry little hands what we did then I looked at the eyes those kind little eyes there and I said sorry for what I've shown you and also for the ears what I've let you hear in life. Then I looked at the mouth and I said, sorry for all those things that I've said. After forgiving myself and looking at myself as a little baby, it was so cleansing, it was healing for me. Wow, Jerry, thank you so much. That was such a beautiful story to see how God totally transformed you and gave you a clean, a new clean heart. So I wonder if you could please pray for us right now. Sure. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, we thank you also. When you died, you didn't stay in that grave, but you came up. Lord, and you're saying to us, Rejoice and be joyful. Lord, I just give you thanks for the opportunity to share here today. And I just pray if there's anybody that has a heavy heart, Lord, just reach up to God wherever you are. Today is the day. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Jerry. Thank you for sharing last week and this week with us. It's been a blessing. Thank you very much. Friends, our free offer for you today is filled with true stories of everyday people who found themselves trapped by life, by the consequences of poor choices, and by the brokenness of others. Our free offer, The Only Hope, may be for you if you feel locked in a life of fear, anguish, or depression. You will be inspired by these true stories of people who fought the temptation to numb the pain with empty relationships, addictive substances, or destructive behaviors. Instead, they found hope, real hope, the only hope. We want you to experience the truth that is found in the words of Jesus when he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I met Jerry at a 2012 North American Division training in Living Free that I was conducting that year. And when I heard his testimony, I knew that part of the reason that God had our team put these kinds of materials together was for the boots on the ground people like Jerry. The work that he does with souls who are hurting, souls who need Christ and who need the message for this time, 
is what we all need to be doing. So I'm so thankful for the work that Jerry is doing and continues to do with those with whom he comes in contact. So I want to encourage you to listen to what he has to say and to be blessed by the living free materials that we have put together to save hurting souls in a world of sin. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to watch a video of this podcast, please visit iiw.ca or you can go to our IIW Canada YouTube channel and click on the videos tab. Once again, thank you so much for listening.